Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical director or a practice manager and your to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to support you to roll out your network-based contracts and projects, I would love to help you. We also provide consultancy and coaching advice to healthcare business owners and clinical leads looking to take the next step in their career or their business. Come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So this week's interview is with author Grace Marshall. Grace is a productivity ninja. That is her official title. She has written How to Be Really Productive. She's also written 21 Ways to Manage the Stuff That Sucks Up Your Time. And her most recent book is a book called Struggle. I wanted Grace to come on to give you guys some tools and some chance to reflect on parts of your life, your working life, your personal life, where you may feel that you have struggled and there are degrees of struggle and any is okay. It really is okay. It's nothing to be ashamed of, to kind of try to minimize. We are not superhuman and it is normal and natural to feel low, feel frustrated, to procrastinate to feel angry for a variety of reasons. So I wanted to have this discussion on the podcast with the aim of supporting us as leaders to move forward and progress with our careers and support um, our peers and colleagues and patients. So in this interview, we talk about the cost of making mistakes and not making mistakes, like the impact of that. And alongside that, we talk about some practical things that we can do to help us better respond to other people's mistakes. We also talk about that fearful voice in our head when we find ourselves in that moment where we feel out of our depth. And we talk about the importance of resilience and not being immune. We talk about the importance of giving yourself enough time to recover when you do hit that period of struggle. And Grace shares, I I put Grace on the spot a little bit and asked her how she honours her own struggle and what is her go-to tool and tip when she's finding things a little bit difficult. Uh, It was really, really good. Nice, short, sharp interview for you. I hope you enjoy. I would love it if you could head over to Grace's website and pick yourself up a book. And if you do buy the book as a result of listening to this podcast, please let me know. Please tag me in social media. Take a pic. Um, That would be great. I've got the book. Love it. Love it. Enjoy. And I'll see you in the next episode. Hi, Grace. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me, Tara. 
we got connected by um, a mutual connection of ours called Helen Bruin. Helen hosts the podcast Totem Talks, which I was a guest on. And she messaged me and she said, I think you should speak to Grace. She's got a book out and I I think it would be really, really helpful for your listeners. So could you share a little bit about what you do and what your latest book is about? Sure. So um, my official job title is a productivity ninja. So that's an actual job title. Uh, What I do is I go into organizations of all shapes and sizes and work with people to help them think about how they work in their day to day. From the nitty gritty of how do I juggle everything I need to get done in work and in life to um, how do I manage my emails and get my inbox to zero to, you know, I've got too many meetings going on, help. So that's the kind of stuff that I help people with. The reason why I ended up writing a book about struggle is because it felt like struggle was this one taboo that everybody has, but nobody actually experience that no, nobody actually talks about. So we all experience it, but we don't tend to talk about it, or at least we don't tend to talk about it with any kind of constructive use. So we might talk about how, yeah, everybody struggles, so just get over it. Or we might talk about it from a perspective of like, oh gosh, oh dear, you're struggling. Um, maybe you can't cope. Maybe there's something wrong with you. So almost we look at it with a sense of shame or blame. And I don't think that tells the full story of struggle. Yeah, that tells a full story of productivity either. And so I started wanting to really just explore into what's going on when we're struggling, but also how can we learn from that to engage with struggle in a different way? And maybe sometimes when we're struggling, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with us or even that there's anything wrong at all. Maybe it's just hard because we are, you know, treading, we're breaking new ground, we're going into unknown territory, and that's actually what productivity looks like sometimes. So when I first got the book and I said to you, uh, I saw the title and I thought, I'm not, I'm not struggling. And it took me ages to get up. It re- I don't know why, but I just, I just thought, yeah, I don't feel like I'm struggling. So this book isn't for me. I don't need this book at the, at the time at now. And when I am struggling, I'll pick it back up. And then when I picked it up, I was a bit like, I so wasn't expecting this. I don't know what I was expecting, but I think for those listening in, there's degrees of struggle. It's probably you don't want to be on the floor and burn out and so upset and so exhausted before you seek help. So I do think this book is, for those of us, you can have a bit of an off day. And it's a book that I've got in front of me. It's one of those books where I was saying, you don't have to read it front to, you know, like front to back. It's not like, it doesn't have, it's not like a story. You could open up any page and you can just read it and just read that section. And then that would, you'd think, oh, okay. And it would give you um, some tidbits and some things to consider that would really, really help you. So um, I definitely recommend it. And you don't have to be really, really struggling. But if you are, you could flick to the section that most resonates with you, the title and the words that most resonate with you. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I didn't want to do was I didn't want to write a a huge book on struggle. So I didn't want the book on struggle to be a struggle to pick up. Um, (laughs) 
So that's the reason why I, I kind of wrote it in very short snippets, short chapters. And actually, I was talking to someone uh, a little while ago, and they said, yeah, it's kind of like a kettle book, the sort of book that you could keep near the kettle. And when you're making a cup of tea, you could pick it up and, and pick up something that's going to be useful. So absolutely, it's something that can be useful right in the middle of, um, of a big struggle, but it can also be something that shines a light that's useful, even just in the middle of an off day. So in the book, you talk about sometimes we struggle because we're learning to do something new. I've flicked open the book, one page one, um, 174 is the title of that page is out of my depth. I'm feeling out of my depth. And you say good, because that means you'll be brave. Now, depending on what type of job you do in healthcare, I'm very fortunate because I'm working in my office. I don't work directly with patients. I do come in contact with them, but I don't directly work with patients a mistake for me is easily rectifiable a mistake for other people is not and it you it's detrimental to feel out of your depth in certain jobs even though we may all feel it how would you help us reframe that to us actually think no I am brave I am learning it is okay to not be 100% confident at something that is new to me. Could you help us kind of rationalize that fear? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, fear basically, it's a very simple mechanism. It tries to keep us safe by telling us to stick to what we know. But in in all walks of life, and and particularly in work, when we're stepping into a new role, for example, or we're going into a new season, um, there are going to be, there's going to be uncertainty, and fear's response to that uncertainty is to go, whoa, this is dangerous, um, you know, stay away. And to almost kind of get you to pull back or to look away from that thing. But actually, in a work situation, if, if, we, if we are having to step into a place of uncertainty, a place of high stakes or even high risk, we don't want people to be looking away. We want people to be paying attention. So um, fear that tells us to look away isn't helpful. Um, and so one of the things that I found useful is just to reframe, like, what does this mean? So if I think this means I'm out of my depth, I'm going to question myself, my competence, my confidence, and I'm going to see fear as you know, this kind of struggle as a sign that maybe I'm not cut out for this. But if I see it as, oh, this is, this is a sign that I'm preparing myself so to give you a slightly different example, my, um, my daughter was in a running competition once um, in primary school and one of her friends said, oh, I'm feeling really nervous, like my legs are all jittery, I'm feeling really nervous. And I said to her, no, no, that's, that's a good thing. That's your body preparing you to run. So channel that energy that you're feeling in your legs, like channel that through your legs and through into the running. And she's like, oh, okay, great. And so that meant that she kind of almost switched the sign from like, oh, this means I'm not cut out for it to, oh, okay, this is my my body's way of preparing me to do something really important here. So I guess in, in the kind of healthcare setting, maybe that's the reframe that can be helpful to go, okay, I'm feeling out of my depth. That's not a sign that I'm I'm in the wrong place. Maybe that's a sign that I'm you know, stepping into something. I'm here to raise my game. I've got what it takes. I'm here to pay attention. So maybe it gets us paying more attention, but also bringing more of ourselves to that situation rather than feeling like we need to pull back because we're not qualified. Cool. I like that. 
In the book, you also talk about making mistakes and lots of us will say we're trying to develop learning organisations and you need to make mistakes to learn. But kind of selfishly, when I read that, I did think I'm hired to be the expert. I'm there to be the consultant and no one wants to pay a consultant to learn and make lots of mistakes, (laughs) you know, like they don't. You fear making mistakes And then, and I think everybody will relate to this, is then you beat yourself up so much. And, you know, like you kind of beat yourself up so much, then you think you're, you know, like I'm a mistake, (laughs) you know, rather than just the mistake being a mistake. And then that really can affect your confidence. I think we hold ourselves to very high expectations and you want, you forgive other people's mistakes. But there there is this kind of two questions here. There is... If we're so fearful of making mistakes, what's the impact of that? And then the other question is, how do you forgive people's mistakes without a massive drop in performance? Yeah, I think, yeah, that's that first question is is a really good question because we often only look at the cost of making mistakes. Um, But actually, when we start to look at the cost of avoiding mistakes, what happens is, you know, what is it that we do when we're trying to avoid mistakes? Maybe it's that we decide to stick to what's safe. So we don't take risks and we don't, we don't learn. Basically, we just stick to what we know. But maybe also it's sometimes we overwork. So we maybe go for perfectionism. That can be um, a cost of, of trying to avoid mistakes. It's like, I don't want to be in that situation again where I'm caught short. So I'm going to double down on everything. I'm going to go 150% on everything. And you know, and there is a cost to that as well, because things are going to take longer. And you're going to be putting in more effort, more time, more attention. Maybe that means you've got less capacity to do other things, but also maybe it just means you burn out because you're putting so much in um, way beyond what's actually needed for fear of making mistakes. Um, and the really interesting thing with perfectionism as well is that it, it kind of feeds back both ways. So I, I would say I'm a recovering perfectionist. I'm quite hard on myself and I have had standards of myself, but I would also say I'm quite a compassionate person. So I would hate to think that I demand perfection from other people. If I am at a point where I am, maybe I'm up against it. I'm stressed. I've crammed everything in. I'm so busy because of all the extra things that I'm doing in order to demand perfection from myself. What's going to end up happening is that I've left no room for mistakes from other people either. I've got no room for imperfection. And so if somebody takes longer on something or makes a mistake on something and it impacts me, and I'm like, ah, oh, I've got no, I've got no room to absorb that mistake. Um, and so therefore I'm also demanding perfection from other people as well. And, you know, when we get into that situation, we can end up creating an environment where everybody's just so anxious, like, and and so, you know, so worried about making mistakes that sometimes that can cause mistakes in itself. I've literally just written that down. (laughs) I think the fear of making mistakes makes you make even more mistakes because you're so honest, you're trying to be too perfect. And it's just, you're really, you might try to unpick it so much. So I definitely think when I, I always say like a good day for me is like when I'm relaxed. When I'm relaxed, it's absolutely fine. But it's when I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, she's going to hate it. She's going to do this. She's going to do that. Then I, and then I make silly. And then when I look back, Tara, you know, like this, no wonder why she thinks you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And it, you know, and and it's really interesting. It goes back to that fear thing because fear basically gives us very narrow vision. You know, when when we're in that fight or flight um, response situation, basically um, we get tunnel vision. So you know, our, our perspective goes to simply how do I get away from this, or how do I overcome this? So how do I fight this or or kind of run away? Whereas what we often need in, in a work situation is, is a wider perspective. We need to be able to kind of almost see like, what are the different options here to be able to think creatively or to think from other people's perspectives? And um, so almost to broaden out our vision, we need to activate, I guess, curiosity is what I write in, in the book as the antidote to fear, to get really curious about you know, what's actually going on here. And so when we get curious about, you know, what's going on, what does this mean? Um, we can then almost create more options for ourselves rather than just, I've got to get it right or else it's all going to go wrong. I think you also, and I think a game changer for people listening to this is what you said around, I think we're all so busy. We don't allow and we hold ourselves to high expectations. When somebody makes a mistake, that impacts us on our time. So then we are more stressed we get annoyed because now we have to do extra and we haven't got enough bandwidth to do it. So I suppose your productivity ninja side is around how we, we and we know things never go according to plan. Very few days, it's like, you know, like seamless and beautifully in flow. We have to remember people do make mistakes and we're all in the same situation. We're all trying to work really, really hard. We're all trying to make each other's lives easier. But I think our response to other people's mistakes will change because we slow down a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes, you know, our learning, to go back to what you said earlier about learning organizations, sometimes our best learnings come from our mistakes, our best discoveries. So not just I learn how to not make that mistake, but actually sometimes a mistake gives us good information if we start to look how did that happen? So not, not a case of blame or judgment of like, why did you make that mistake? But what created that mistake or what created the environment for that mistake? And so when we're able to look at it and go, what happened there? Sometimes we can notice things like, oh, actually, this process is really convoluted. So no wonder it's really easy to make a mistake there. Or it can be, uh, I've squeezed everything in too tightly, so no wonder I made a mistake. So we can learn a lot if we're able to look at that mistake with curiosity rather than with judgment. Definitely. And I'm, I don't know if you, you, you probably would have come across this term, but in healthcare, and I think in the aviation industry, they look around um, human factors. And actually, when you have that learning mental, learning organisation mentality, you can look at that error and it's usually more than one person's error. There is a process which is, you know, like we kind of get used to kind of trying to fit, you know, like the square peg into a round hole. And then, but unfortunately, it's great to learn from mistakes, but sometimes those mistakes are fatal and they can be, um, they can really, even if it's not fatal, kind of really affect your confidence. It's not nice constantly learning by mistake. Mm, yeah. You noticing that, but also recognizing where can we support each other? So if a mistake does happen, where can we support each other to, to be able to recover from that and to be able to get to a place where, yeah, we don't want to make mistakes unnecessarily, but you know, if mistakes do happen, how do we recover from that? And how do we learn from that? Like what learning do we take forwards 
because that learning can then help us to maybe reduce on the mistakes or you know, at least not make that same mistake again. So we have to decide which question you want to answer. Um, so I've made, um, so I've tagged resilience, not immunity. So in healthcare, we always talk about the need to be resilient. And I suppose the definition of resilience there is, you know, like you just keep getting back up. In the book, you talk about being resilient, but not, be, you know, like not being immune. Could you talk to us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So sometimes we think that strength comes from never falling down. Like, yeah, that's the immunity side of things. But actually strength comes from resilience. It comes from you know, the, the building of strength comes from the getting up again um, and there's a certain resilience that we get when we we face a difficulty and we go I haven't been here before but I've been I, I have been here before so I may not have faced this problem before but I have maybe faced other problems and we you know and we survived that so you know this might be new to me and I feel out of my depth but I've done new things before I've been out of my depth of thought I've got what it takes so that's a kind of sense of resilience that gets built up through having been through struggles. There's also, if you think about muscles, for example, muscles um, grow by you know, by tearing, essentially. So when you, if you're bodybuilding, um, what you're doing is you're essentially working those muscles and there are slight micro tears to that. And then in the repair and the recovery, that's how the muscles get stronger. So there's, there's definitely something around if we see making mistakes or we see being knocked down as as the end um, or as, as simply failure, then we never learn from the recovery side of things. Do you think, I suppose I see, I think one issue around resilience is people are not giving themselves enough time to recover and we fall into that toxic positivity, you know, like everything's a lesson learned, everything happens for a reason, you know, like what did you learn from that? And sometimes it's like, I learned that I'm absolutely shattered and I need more than a week off. And I don't, and I also learning that I don't want to be told constantly it's going to be okay. You know, like sometimes, rightly or wrongly, you just want to lick your wounds. You might want to have a bit of a moan. You need to take time out. And I think that the resilience is that rubber band is getting shorter and shorter and shorter because the needs on the system are so great. It's like, you know, we need to be resilient. We need to get back up. And I think if people don't give themselves enough time, then they leave. They don't get back up in our set. They just think, oh, hands up, I'm done. Yeah, absolutely. There's um, actually an occupational psychologist that I interviewed for my previous book, How to Be Really Productive. And he talks about um, the, the wobbly line. So, so if you look at an athlete, for example, they wouldn't go straight from running a marathon straight into the gym to do more training they would have that rest and recovery um, and yet often what we try and do is flatline it all we don't we don't take that rest and recovery seriously you know as you know anything that has life a flatline is not a good sign but we try we try and do that we try and go well it's all going to get better but actually maybe we need to kind of learn to to do that recovery and to recognize it takes time. And I think that's where the licking your wounds comes from. So one of the things I talk about in the book, um, I call it the three shits uh, process of struggle. And the first of that is, oh, shit, it's just recognizing the struggle and naming it and recognizing the feeling to even just to go, this is hard, or this hurts, or I am shattered. To recognize that means that we can come to terms with it, and we can actually face it rather than feel that we need to run away or get rid of it. 
And then we can move on to the second thing, which is what is this shit? So that is um, the reckoning, the curiosity. That's when we start to look and pay attention to go, what am I actually dealing with? And what do I think it looks like? But what else could it be? And what does this actually mean? And what can I learn from it? And then from there, we come to the third thing, which is the holy shit. And that's the revelation. That's the, the thing that we discover, the learning or the opportunity, or even sometimes it's just the beauty of, do you know what my shortfall has yes, maybe cost somebody else some time, but maybe when they respond with human connection, when they respond with a, yep, it's okay, we're human, you know, we can deal with this, then there's something really powerful in that. You know, we recognize that I write in the book, like, well, maybe what makes me weak makes us strong. And that, that value of community um, and not feeling like I have to hold it all together myself. To close this out, could you give us an example of how you kind of practice what you preach? So you have written multiple books. You're helping people to become productive. You mentioned you've got a child or children. How do you, what is your go-to tip to honour and manage your own struggles? Oh, good question. I think for me, it's always remembering that I'm um, human, not superhero. So a superhero has to be perfect has to please everybody all the time, has to save everyone. And as human beings, we have our limits and we do make our mistakes. Um, so one of my mantras as a parent actually is to be good enough most of the time with intermittent lapses into hopelessness and brilliance. And so, you know, uh, I, I think when I hit a struggle, it's remembering that, it's following, following that three shits process, you know, and, and remembering that, you know, yes, this is a day of hopelessness, but it's not always going to be hopeless. And I'm, I'm, it doesn't mean that I'm completely hopeless. And I'm recognizing that there will be days of hopelessness, but there will also be days of brilliance, as long as I allow myself to ride that wave and not feel like I have to flatline it all out. If people want to buy your book or find out more about you, where is the best place to find you? Uh, so you can find out more about me at gracemarshall.com and you can find out more about the book at strugglethebook.com. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, so pleased to be able to have this conversation with you. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you hear, I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five star review. I know many of you give us a shout out on social media, which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast. So please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram at THC Primary Care and on LinkedIn, just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, please do. It's really, really funny. You get to hear more insights, more confessions, some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter letter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.